just because you work in healthcare doesn't mean you respect everyone equally. It does not mean that you center everyone's humanity the same. It does not mean that you have the same respect for everyone. It does not mean that you value black and brown lives. And that is something that I've come across um, in all capacities, in all fields, and doctors, from doctors to nurses to dietitians. If you do not have respect for our communities, you do not need to be working with our communities. Mm -hmm. That is how I feel. Mm -hmm. So, and I really will stand by that. I think if you can't respect black and brown bodies, you really don't need to be servicing us. And so that then brings the question, who will service us then? If, If you don't have people who value your communities, who will show up for your communities? And the answer is always the community. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph, and I'm here with Jess. Really quick weekly announcement if you have not already, Please subscribe to our uh, podcast and rate and review us on um, Apple Podcasts. I still want to call it iTunes. I don't know why, (laughs) but it's Apple Podcasts. And if you have been impacted by any of our episodes, any of our guests, this is people's free time that they're devoting to coming on to the episode, to sharing their expertise. If you've been impacted by anything that they've said, please share the episodes with someone that you think would Um, benefit from them. We also um, typically link the IGs of the people who are on the podcast with us. Go ahead, give them a follow, like reshare their content as well. Um, It's all small things that we can do to support and uplift each other. So now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, um, I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, I think we've mentioned in many, many podcasts that I'm super into like wellness and stuff like that. And um, one of the biggest things that has come to the forefront for me is that in the in recent years, um, the wellness industry has been, I'm going to say colonized, um, gentrified, whatever word you want to use. Um, and so when you think about wellness or when I've thought about wellness, the things that I've typically had in my mind or that I've been exposed to is white, skinny, blonde, uh, affluent, wealthy, whatever you want to call it is those things. And it hurts me that there can be this huge disconnect between a lot of the wisdom and um, the knowledge that we carry as people of color, Latinx people, black people, et cetera, um, in our lineage that exists, that is in line with wellness, but has been excluded from this area of of new age wellness. So I'm really excited for our guest today. We're going to talk about wellness. We're going to talk about it within the context of nutrition, which is super duper important. I know that I've at times had unhealthy relationships with food um, where I've like given up all of my cultural foods or I've just been like, well, I'm just going to eat like this protein that I'm weighing and I'm going to just like eat these three little pieces of potato with it because that's part of like my nutrition um, goal. And so I'm really excited to have Miriam with us today um, to talk about 
nutrition, decolonizing wellness, et cetera. Um, quick bio, Miriam is a registered dietitian, doula, and student nurse who has worked in all settings as a registered dietitian, primarily serving underserved communities in New York City. Miriam believes having a healthy relationship with food happens when you are able to eat in a way that includes your cultural foods and is in harmony with the unique needs of your body. Snaps. Yes, 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 yes. yes. To all of that, because it's not a one size fits all. Hi, Miriam. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm super excited to be here and to talk to you a little bit about food, nutrition, wellness, um, definitely centering the experiences of black and brown communities. So I appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Um, Miriam, before we start, I would love if you could just break down what a dietitian is for our listeners, because I think there may be also a, a, a disconnect based on like just the word and what dietitians do. So could you break that down for, for our listeners and for me too? <laughs> for me. Sure, no problem. So a registered dietitian is a nutrition and food expert. And so these are healthcare professionals who have gone through extensive education, looking at the science, the nutrition sciences, um, looking at food and its relation to health and how it functions in the human body. Um, so a registered dietitian nutritionist, so now they have, they added the nutritionist to registered okay. dietitian. So people can understand like there's a difference between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian nutritionist. But um, so a dietitian has gone through uh, undergrad. Then after undergrad, you have to go through a dietetic internship where you complete um, 1200 hours of supervised, um, I want to say rotations in different settings. So clinical settings, community settings, food industry settings. And then once you're done with that, you have to pass an exam to get your certification. And it's only after you receive your certification where you're registered that you can actually work in the field in all capacities. So whether you want to work in a hospital or if you'd like to work in a community-based organization, um, that is the only way to get hired as a registered dietitian. So in addition to that, we have to complete a certain amount of continuing education credits because as you probably know, nutrition information changes and science changes. So in order for us to be up to date with the most recent research, we have to continue educating ourselves and recertifying um, usually every five years. So now there's a, a new requirement rolling out in 2024, which for registered dietitians to be of color, it can be problematic, but they're starting to add a master's degree as a minimum requirement to be a registered dietitian. So as you can see, a lot of education, a lot of uh, training, a lot of oversight. And in addition to that, we have a, uh, ethical code. So we have like a code of ethics and an overseeing body where if we provide you with uh, faulty or false information um, intentionally, we can be reported. And so there's a lot of oversight and a lot of accountability in how we practice. Wow. Seemed like that's, a lot, right? That's, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. actually a really great breakdown because of the fact that um, I mean, we were just talking about the fact that we we were living in San Francisco for a few years and I saw the word nutritionist a lot. I saw the word dietitian a lot. And I feel like it was part of the culture for people to go to a nutritionist, people to go to a dietitian. And I never quite understood like, well, what are you going to them 
for very specifically, um, but also like what sort of training does a dietitian go to? So that's super helpful to understand. Um, and for any listener who may think like, oh, maybe I need to go to a nutritionist or I need to go to a dietitian that now understands like what your function is and how you can help others, which we'll talk a little bit about more later. But I think that's um, super helpful um, for just like a baseline understanding of what a dietitian is. Yeah, and I just want to clarify because the the title of registered dietitian is something that's overseen and it's it's regulated. Anyone can call themselves a, a nutritionist and there's nothing behind that. So it really it, it does there's no weight, there's no accountability, but a registered dietitian does have accountability. So I'm glad to clarify. I'm always happy to clarify because <laughs> a lot of people are confused about that. Awesome. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Can you, um, I want to talk about your journey towards becoming a dietitian. And I think this is super important because um, I, I do like random Google searches for things. Like I've, I've searched for nutritionists, I've searched for um, dietitian. And what I see is mainly white people in it. So it's not really a field that is, um, has a ton of people of color who are in it. I think awareness is, is, a, is a reason for that. Um, but I'm really interested in what your journey was towards becoming a, a dietitian. Thank you for mentioning that because I really want to highlight that. So our field is very, 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 very white. And how people show up and teach uh, nutrition shows because there is no, there. I want to say it's very little diversity. So in terms of our break, down there is about I want to say um, less than six percent of the entire profession is composed of people of color and so there has really been a pushback from dietitians who are in the field already and in trying to demand that the overseeing organization really support diversity in our field um, so there are nonprofit organizations that are trying to, and in addition to that, dietitians of color, black and brown dietitians that are really trying to push to support students of color who are going into the field because there really isn't that much support for us. Um, so one of those organizations is known as Diversified Dietetics, which, you know, I can always, I could talk for days about them. They're so <laughs> awesome. But yeah, you know, it, so as a, as someone who was in the field and didn't know that, um, I really wanted to become a dietitian and I knew that I wanted to become a dietitian from 17. So I was wow. pretty young and still in high school and looking at um, degrees that I wanted to pursue and what I wanted to really study. And I knew I wanted to go into healthcare. Um, but it was the idea of trying to help people reclaim their health or trying to keep them healthy so that they won't actually end up sick. And that idea of preventative care was really attractive to me. Um, I really, really wanted to know how I can help people kind of avoid getting sick. And I, I kind of was a little naive in the fact that I thought that food and and taking care of yourself was everything. It was, I didn't really know how much your environment impacts your health, your your social health, like really the full realm of wellness is more than just food. Um, but at that time I knew that I wanted to be able to help people be able to kind of keep their health or maintain their health or become healthy through things that they can do. 
Um, so that's what really drew me to the profession. And that really stems from my parents. Like my mom has always been really big on, she's Guatemalan. So she's really in her culture. There is just homemade meals and, and everything centers around food and a lot of warmth and taking care of your family. And, and my father was very big on health as well. And and it was just interesting to watch them and how they raised us with that foundation without badgering us to take yeah. care of ourselves. Like we we just saw their example. So that really came from them. And growing up in Brooklyn, being surrounded by Crown Fried Chicken and yeah. all the other, the lack of good food, the lack of um, grocery stores that had good food, fresh food, quality food, affordable food, and just seeing how that affects um the community members i was like there has to be something better than this for us like i don't i don't see why this is the option that we have um so going into that field i had no idea that in my dietetic internship i would be one of maybe i want to say three people of color the only um brown <laughs> person of a multi-ethnic background. So I, I kind of didn't realize that because in my undergrad, I went to school in Brooklyn College. Mm -hmm. My undergrad was full of people of color. I mean, there were, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a school in Brooklyn. It's, it's in Flatbush. There were tons of people interested in the profession, but again, it takes a lot to finish it. So yeah. a lot of them, they got to the internship part, they did their degree, and then they realized like, wow, I have to dedicate a, at least a year of my life to fill, fulfilling these hours and paying for it, and I just can't finish it. So we lost a lot of talent, a lot of genuine interest, and, and more import importantly, a lot of um, community members from communities of color during that time. And, and I'm not surprised because really and truly, it, it's a very taxing journey, but it's necessary for you to get registered, for you to be an official registered dietitian. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it's, I think what you touch upon is so important in terms of the um, influence that our parents have on us, even when they're, when they might not like outright be telling us that, or just, just, to, just even for people who have kids right now, just how much leading by example or the things that you do on an everyday basis, the impact that that can have on your children. So I think that is just so wonderful for you to share that. And I, I think I can assume uh, the answer to the next question, but I would love for you to go to go into that. So um, we'll we'll tag your your Instagram handle. Um, so for for listeners, for you all to to see it, and we'll include it in the um, show notes. Um, but if, if you look at your Instagram, a lot of the content that you produce and even like the web, some of the webinars that you've done, um, before really focus on, on black and brown communities, which I think is so important because I don't know that we have, um, a, a ton of resources to go to, um, from people of color talking about, um, nutrition and, you know, you talk about maternal health and, and a bunch of other stuff. What inspired you to focus your work on Black and Brown communities? So I, it's so funny, my, I'm just thinking in my head, am I giving you the raw, the raw true answer? And I, and I will always give you the raw true answer, even, even if it's uh, politically incorrect or whatever. Um, so honestly, I got tired of 
having very few people or no people really take interest in the help of our communities. And, and I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Just because you work in healthcare doesn't mean you respect everyone equally. It does not mean that you center everyone's humanity the same. It does not mean that you have the same respect for everyone. It does not mean that you value black and brown lives. And that is something that I've come across um, in all capacities, in all fields, and, and doctors, from doctors to nurses to dietitians. If you do not have respect for our communities, you do not need to be working with our communities. Mm -hmm. That is how I feel. So, mm -hmm. and I really will stand by that. I think if you can't respect black and brown bodies, you really don't need to be servicing us. Yeah. And so that then bring, brings the question, who will service us then? If, if you don't have people who value your communities, who will show up for your communities? And the answer is always the community. Yeah. So as a black and brown person, I, I really felt like I needed to represent my community, but also serve my community. And I made it very intentional to make sure that it was accessible information, that I was targeting our communities, because really and truly, if it's not us, then who? You yeah. know, who's really going to show up and do the work? And I feel like um, seven mm -hmm. years of being a dietitian is one thing, but looking at other parts and other capacities of being a healthcare provider is really important as well. And I wanted to make sure I showed up in that way. Um, so will that hurt some feelings? I really could care less. <laughs> uh, and that's really how I feel about it, you know? I mean, I, I really appreciate you saying that because of the fact that um, as I'm pretty sure everyone who is 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 listening has has had some sort of interaction with someone in the healthcare space. Um, and 99% of the people of color that I talked to have had some negative experience with white practitioners who they felt were either um, uh, doing microaggressions uh, like on them, were not respecting their opinion, were um, gaslighting them, were just like giving them information that they felt was harmful. Um, we're not necessarily uh, allowing them to advocate for themselves. So you, I think what you're saying is, is very, very important. And I hope that for someone who may be listening and may be considering like in anything in healthcare, is that the right profession for me and their person of color? Yes. Try it out. Because <laughs> as Miriam said, like it's the community that ultimately services and looks out for the community. So um, thank you for saying that because that's super important. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to just say that titles doesn't matter because even myself, even as, as much education as I have, as much training as I have, I too have stepped into situations where I was disrespected or my partner was disrespected and, and it was, it was by a white practitioner. And I'm not saying that, that was what was determining. But I mean, it's when you walk into a room and there are already assumptions made about you mm -hmm. that they were taught 
<laughs> to assume about you through our medical system. And, and those are things that as a, unless there are people of color in those fields to challenge those stereotypes and to say, hey, um, professor, I, I disagree with that point of view. I think that's not based on any evidence. I can speak for my community when I say that's not true. Like, unless you're willing to do that work, I mean, there are foundational educational issues with how other professionals are training people coming in to the profession. And so implicit bias really shows its head in all fields, but it is most dangerous, in my opinion, when it shows its head in healthcare. Um, So, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. At this point, after having done so much work and trying to learn and accumulate the knowledge, I am here and I will continue to be here for, for black and brown folks. And that is my goal. And that's my, you know, that's my focus. And if people want to support that, that's great. And if you don't want to support it, I'm still going to be here for my, for my community. So yeah. <laughs> love it. I love it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, nutrition and lifestyle and cultural tra- traditions and I mentioned earlier the um, the gentrification of the wellness space that ha- that has happened, and um, how you know sometimes people approach, hey, I want to I want to you know eat healthy, whatever that may mean, and that sometimes has this connotation of if you're going to eat healthy, you have to give up carbs, you have to not put adobo in your food, you have to not eat platanos, you have to not have um, your fried chicken, not have all these things that may, you may have, um, it may be a recipe that's passed down by generations. It may be something that's really near and dear, not even to your culture, but maybe to your family. Um, it's this notion that that sort of stuff has to go out the window and we have to go with our, like this very, very, like, um, this amount of protein, this amount of this, this amount of that. And like, no, no adobo, no, any of this, like just ignoring all of the cultural traditions or the cultural foods that you have and really sticking to, I can't even call it an American diet. I I just have to call it like just the status quo of what's being put out there by influencers or people selling you detox teas or whatever. So I want to talk about um, or hear from you. What are some ways that people can develop a, I'm going to put healthy lifestyle, whatever that may mean while respecting their cultural traditions. So it is, it's so important for you to first unlearn a lot of the, the things that you learned along your health journey. So when I say that is a lot of times our health messages or messages in the wellness field are not necessarily coming from credible places. They're not coming from evidence-based places, science-backed uh, places, and and quite frankly, very racist places sometimes. So the fact that you that certain cultural foods are negative or unhealthy, um, you kind of have to like debunk all of that first. And so it becomes the first thing your mind that you have to say, you know, well, what, what is really wrong with my cultural foods? Like, I don't understand what, what is it? What are these messages really trying to tell me as a person of color? And once you kind of dig through it, you realize that it's really more so 
a commentary on your culture as a whole and that commentary is not valid, right? So once you get past that, I think it's important to also learn about your actual cultural foods, right? So if, for example, if you are looking at your cultural foods and you're like, you know, my grandmother made sancocho every Sunday and it was like so awesome and it just reminds me of home and it's like, okay, so what did she put in it? And it, if you look at it, it has vegetables, it has chicken, it has like, it, you know, it's a mixture of herbs sometimes, cilantro, it has other things that are not necessarily unhealthy. Um, so you just want to first look at, okay, what were cult true cultural foods that I had that I grew up that I enjoyed? Um, that I still want to enjoy and then what were things that were kind of imposed on my culture because of uh, it's called social determinants of health but because of my environment so like for example crown fried chicken is not part of my culture right but, but if crown fried chicken is all I have access to then that is what's in my environment, right? So that's not necessarily a cultural food, but that's what I have access to. So a lot of times the food journey is getting back to what is really your traditional foods. Now, if you are someone who has a very strong sense of what your traditional foods are and you know what they are and you, you love them and still you get the images or the messages to be ashamed or to feel guilty for having it, then I have to say you have to really look at why are those messages coming in, right? And once you do that work, I think that one of the things that people can remember is that food is all about balance. <laughs> it's all about enjoyment. It, I mean, a lot of our holiday foods and traditional foods, they're not eaten every day, you know? Yeah. It's once in a while. It's around a certain uh, time of the year. Um, I mean, what's really the harm in having that and learning that? Um, and to enjoy that with family overall, it doesn't, it's not something you're eating all the time. So, you know, I would say there is space for food. Um, also recognizing that you're a lot of cultures, all cultures, I want to correct that all cultures include fruits and vegetables in their, um, in their everyday pattern. Um, they do include a healthy form of protein in their everyday pattern. And so really there is, there is no one way to eat, right? So if I were to go and move to Japan and I was eating the foods, the cultural foods of Japan, I'll find something healthy to have because they, they, every culture has that. If I move to China, if I move to Brazil, you know, so the assumption that you have to eat a very rigid way in order for it to be healthy is, it's just, it's wrong. It's inaccurate. It's, it's very um, close-minded and boxed in to the fact that there's only one superior, there's one superior culture and that's just bullshit excuse my French but you know what I'm saying like it's not true so you know it's kind of a long-winded answer but I would say first do the work and find out what really is your cultural food and then learn about how to balance that and include that and then in whatever ways are true to you right I really appreciate that you said this this the you you mentioned just like really understanding what your cultural foods are in the second piece is like what what actually wasn't your uh, cultural foods because I know that many of us grew up in in like food deserts where our supermarkets didn't have like a ton of fresh um, food and also our parents didn't necessarily have um, the income to um, continuously buy a ton of um, food that was like super perishable 
Um, so they opted to buy what was uh, the most affordable and that were, they could get the most bang out of their buck and feed their family. Um, so I appreciate that you said that because I definitely don't want someone to come out of here and be like, great, I grew up drinking the little Capri Sun packets and I had Lunchables every day. So that is part of my food and that's what I'm going to eat. That's not necessarily what we're saying and we're not giving anybody individual like advice. We just have to put that out there. So just, I think it's just super important to, as Mary mentioned, just to, it's also like in a way, I want to say it's decolonizing your own life um, in a way uh, of just thinking about the things that you ate and what was actually um, your cultural foods and what was other stuff that um, you were eating because of your um, environment and just deciding what you want to take from that and what you want to continue eating from that. Or, you know, as if you have kids that you want to pass down to your kids, or, you know, if you're an adult and you're considering what is the, the, the specific nutrition plan or diet that I want to follow, those sorts of things. I think that's so important that you mentioned that. And so I did want to give like an example. So my, my father is African-American. Mm-hmm. So I grew up like, I mean, Southern food and Guatemalan food. And then my mom likes Dominican food too. So it was like, hey, we're going to have <laughs> everything good. I always ate good. <laughs> um, and so what, so for example, my grandmother, my father's mom, she would make around the holiday season homemade sweet potato pie. When I say Gosh. the most delicious, I mean, to this day, I've never tasted anything like her sweet potato pie. And the minute the holidays comes around, I'm just like, oh, I want some sweet potato pie. <laughs> and and it just blows my mind that people are just like, oh, but you can't have sugar and you can't have and you can't have this and the carbs and blah, blah, blah. And it's like if you look at the nutritional value of a sweet potato, like mm-hmm. a, a sweet potato is very nutritious. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is a dessert. But I mean, is it really going to kill me to have sweet potato pie like on the holidays? No. So villainizing foods is not a cultural tradition. It's a very unhealthy way to look at foods. Um, So it's just interesting. You have to kind of process, well, is this really something that's going to harm me? Or is these are these just messages that are being sent to 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 make to make foods, certain foods look bad or, or to attach a certain bad attribute to food when really and truly foods are complex, right? So yeah. enjoy it. So if someone were to tell me to cut out sweet potato pie to achieve a certain food uh, look, I would, I would very respectfully tell you to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, sweet potato pie, pumpkin pie, all, all delicious, um, delicious things. Um, so we're talking about healthy lifestyles and I want to bring it back to working with a dietitian. So not everyone necessarily has a goal of weight loss. Some people may want to like um, change their diet so that they have more energy or, or things like that. Um, so if you don't have weight loss in mind, but you know that right now you're not necessarily um, feeling great about your, your eating habits or the foods that you're eating... What are some goals that you can work with a dietitian on to to uh, that the dietitian can help you set or accomplish? I'm so happy you mentioned that um, and that you're asking that question because weight loss really should not be the end all be uh, end all goal of someone's health journey. And so it's really so all of the research is pointing to the fact that the healthiest meal pattern, so I don't want to say diet, but the healthiest meal pattern 
is a meal pattern that is rich in a variety of fruits and vegetables, right? So that is the, the healthy version of eating. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to eat. So obviously there are starchy vegetables there. No, a variety of fruits and vegetables is the healthiest way to eat, right? So mostly, mostly plant-based, right? But you can have animal-based as well if you'd like to supplement. But that's what the evidence is showing. So if it's so interesting for anyone who's looking to reclaim their health, one of the first things you want to do is how can I increase my intake of fruits and vegetables with every meal in ways that I enjoy, are easy to prep, um, ways that I can take care of my family and be able to, to grow with it. And so that you need skills. You need meal planning skills. You may need cooking skills. You may need resources. So a lot of times people, what they're looking to do is just, they'll say, I don't really know what healthier looks like, but I know I want to eat healthier and I just need some guidance. I need tips. I need to know what to do. Um, so those things are very, very much, uh, topics that we can help you with. Um, there are also some people who they may be diagnosed with a, an illness or chronic disease. And I can guarantee you no nutritionist will know the specific science behind that and what can help, um, in terms of food changes, but dietitians are very, very, very much taught. Um, the pathophysiology of disease states and what foods and minerals and vitamins are implement are affected and what can help. So if you were to say, you know what, I have no interest in weight loss um, as an end goal, but I was diagnosed with diabetes and I don't know anything about diabetes and I need to know how to change my way of eating to kind of control that, please go see a registered dietitian. Um, we have also people who are certified specifically as certified diabetes educators who can help with that. So anyone trying to navigate a disease state, a diagnosed di uh, disease state should seek the, the guidance of a registered dietitian. And if you just are looking for basic patterns, sustainable meal lifestyle patterns to help improve your, your um, end goal or your quality of life or your health, then you do want to see a dietitian as well. Um, I, I love my field because you can specialize in so many different fields. So for example, there are sports focused dietitians. There are pediatrics dietitians, there are maternal health dietitians, women's health dietitians, like there are so many different dietitians that specialize in different, um, different areas. So just seek out the one that, that kind of collaborates with what you want to wanna accomplish. That's amazing. That is amazing. And one of the things that I think about is, I think why people get um, lured into working with like Instagram folks who are part of pyramid schemes I won't mention the names I think is because shade. <laughs> they yeah a, sh a lot of shade I co-sign the shade <laughs> um, I think is because the things that they do offer you are one a sense of guidance two they the, I see that they talk about like uh we'll give you a meal plan we'll give you like a grocery list we'll give you and I think the reason why people can get drawn to that is because of that guidance of, and I think about the January when everyone's like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out. And they step into the gym and they see all these machines and they don't know what to do with the machines. And you feel this sense of shame or embarrassment of like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And I just wish someone would help me. 
And I think it's the same thing when you step into the supermarket where you're like, there's all these aisles, there's all this food, there's all this stuff that I can turn into a meal. And I don't know what the heck to buy, how much of it to buy, what to make of it, how long this will last in the fridge. I don't know anything about food safety. I don't know any of that. And I think that's the, the, uh, the, like the, the allure of those sorts of things. But I love that you can work with a registered dietitian without having to buy shakes and stuff um, where you can, it's specifically for your, um, your goals or the things that you want to accomplish. And it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to weight loss. And I think that that uh, opens the door for like marketing as a whole, advertising as a whole, when it comes to advertising, like the fast foods and like the quick and easy things like that has a huge impact in this space. Like you talk about the, the, the fried chickens and all that. It's like for people who don't have the time or the energy, if they see this stuff constantly on their feed, if they see people are eating this stuff, like, what do you think is going to happen? They're like, well, that person's eating that. So it must be okay. Right. Like it must be okay. But again, it's just like the marketing behind that. And especially within our communities with the resources and stuff, like we're just doomed from the start. Like we're doomed. It's so crazy that you mentioned the food marketing, because I feel like it, that is such a big part of it that a lot of times you don't really recognize that until you really start to notice like, well, hold up. Why are there so many fast food restaurants in my neighborhood? And then I go to the Upper East Side and there's like barely Mm -hmm. any of that. Why are these Whole Foods only in certain areas? Why is Trader Joe's certain? Sorry for mentioning brands, whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like certain, certain, certain things are in certain places and you're like, I don't understand. And then you start to realize the business aspect of it and how a lot of food companies as a whole, they are kind of taking advantage of the fact that our communities may not have the information or access to certain foods, and then they'll market certain things to our children. And that that really is purposeful, right? So any dietitian that you work with, though, should not shame anyone for what they have access to. So for example, even if I'm working with a a client who's like, listen, I am a truck driver. All I have are pit stops at fast food places. This is my life. I work 20 hour shifts. Like, this is what I have. I want to be healthier. What can I do? I would not sit there and shame that person and say, well, why are you stopping at fast food places? Why? Mm-hmm. It would be like, okay, which fast food places are you stopping at? Let's look at what, what would be an option. And do you have an option to prepack a cooler? Like what, you know, let's talk about what's feasible for you. Along the way, do they have grocery stores? Is it, you know, like, let's talk about that. So I would not shame anyone because to be completely honest, what we have access to as a whole, it's, it's, it's not much. So Mm -hmm. we have to work with what we have to meet clients and people where they are. And that's part of respecting their humanity. You know, um, so my idea of wellness, I can't enforce that or impose that on you if you have, I shouldn't at all. But if you definitely don't have access to those things, then it's unrealistic for me to sit there and expect you to have a certain lifestyle. We have to help you achieve your level of health within your current lifestyle, right? Yeah, that's so important because it also, um, I think there's sometimes this idea out there that it's like, well, 
you would lose the weight, which is just so wrong. You would lose the weight or you would be healthier if you just bought healthier foods or if you just invested the time in meal prepping or like you would be at your goal if you put the time into your goal. And, and you know, I think about the people who who even right now in the pandemic don't have the luxury of working from home. People who are working really long shifts, who have families to support, kids to take care of when they get home and time is just not something that they have and money is just not something that they have. And so a lot of times I see those, those posts or those messages and it makes me cringe because I'm like, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of removing people's circumstances from the picture and pretending that we all have the same amount of time, that we all have access to the same quality of foods, that we all have the same financial resources. And that's just not the case for everyone. And I think that what you said just really makes the case for working with a dietitian because of the fact that you can be completely honest in saying, hey, Miriam, I, I roughly have 30 minutes to cook every day. And frankly, I buy lean cuisines and throw them in the microwave because I'm just too tired. What can I do to be healthier? And there isn't someone that's going to tell you, well, you need to buy three bags of carrots every you know, Sunday, boil them, cut them up, you know, make them into this, do that. And, it, and then it, it's, it's all about sustainability. And I think about even for myself, I've sometimes set health goals for myself and they go out the window the, the moment I have to travel for a business trip for work or the moment that I go on vacation because I don't have the time to meal prep. I don't have the same resources that I had. All I have, if I'm t- if I'm going on a road trip, all I have is the fast food chain that's 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 there. And so, working with someone that can help you make the the decisions that are going to be aligned with your values and and the best for you at any given point, I think, is at least the goal that I strive for. But I think the intention that most people have when they make these resolutions or goals for themselves. Yes. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I can, I just say that in healthcare in general, I would like to recognize there is a shift from the culture of blaming the patient for everything. Um, because let's be real, a lot of times providers will be like, well, you know, you wouldn't be so obese if you didn't, you know, if you, if you didn't go to McDonald's every day and it's like totally not even recognizing what the person's day to day is like, because they don't care or they don't have time to, to learn. Right. So now there is a shift in really emphasizing the social determinants of health of what people face and what comprises of someone's wellness. And there's actually a lot of research and a lot of evidence to really show that, guess what? Your zip code determines your your health status a lot more than you would have thought. And guess what? If you're growing up in a toxic environment, like not toxic in terms of vibes, but toxic in terms of water supply, food source, you're probably going to end up with cancer even if you eat organic because of how you're exposed to chemicals. And so now healthcare providers are like, well, maybe it's not always the patient's fault. And I, and I appreciate that because it's, it's overdue and it's, it's like catch up with the train, you know? Yeah. I think that is so important. And I'm, I'm happy that the healthcare industry is, uh, taking that that route because um, I think it's so important for the quality of care that uh, patients have mm-hmm. um so if, if I'm if I'm this far into the episode and I'm like I want to work with a registered dietitian I'm a black or a brown person like sign me up 
What are some considerations that they should keep in mind if they're thinking about working with a dietitian? So some considerations is I do want to say in private practice, you will find a lot of dietitians with different approaches. And so the same way I tell my doula clients is the same thing I tell my nutrition clients, interview your providers or prospective providers. You want to see what their approach is like. You want to, you kind of want to ask them like, so how, what do you consider a balanced meal plan or a balanced lifestyle and, and kind of feel them out um, and see who you vibe with. Like now I'm talking about vibes. Like if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm just like, mm, I don't know about this. You're already assuming because I have curly hair that I eat, you know, platanos and you don't even know mm-hmm. what, what I eat, you know? So then right off the back, that might be like a red flag to run. (laughs) So interview your provider, interview your provider. I do want to say it can get costly. So start with your insurance. Try to see if your insurance covers nutrition services. And then from there, um, if they do, they should have a directory where it would list um, people who are registered dietitians that provide nutrition services. And then just start the list. Start reaching out, um, kind of see who you like, who you don't like, and how it works. Um, And then there may be a point where you're just like, okay, none of these providers are people of color or can relate to people of color because you sometimes they they, they aren't people of color, but they can relate and they have worked with the community for a long time. And if that's the case, then I would say you you would be able to find um, dietitians of color through a social platforms, social media platforms, and they may not have their practice um, in conjunction with insurance, but a lot of dietitians will have different packages that they can work with uh, their clients on. It may not be one-to-one, but it could be webinar sessions that you can attend. So if if money is an issue, try to first work with your insurance and see what's covered. If even after that, if you can't find a provider that you'd like and you want to look at private practice that may not be covered by insurance, um, this is where, you know, Instagram may not be harmful. It might be helpful. You may find dietitians of color that you can DM and say, hey, I want to work with you. I want to look at your website. I want to, you know, where can can you guide me on your your payment structure and things like that? Um, And go from there. But always, always interview your provider because you don't want to waste your time or money or even just your, your safe space. Mm. Right. You don't want to put yourself in another traumatic experience through another traumatic experience where you're opening up and you're 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 also being disrespected or just not treated the way you want to be treated. Um, So so always interview first. Do insurances insurances typically cover these services? So they really tend to cover services um, if you have, especially if you have like a chronic illness. So if you are diabetic, they will cover um, nutrition services for uh, that diagnosis. Uh, If you have kidney issues, they will cover that, um, especially certain stages. But it, that's the thing you want to make sure you know, is it? And then there was actually in one of my old insurance plans, there was nutrition and services covered 
overall. Like it didn't even matter. Like it was just a good type of insurance and they covered acupuncture and therapy. And I was just like, whoa, I don't need any of this, but I'm, I'm about to just go try. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, so it really depends on the plan and what you have to your um, disposal. So start from there and see if they have, if they don't have it by diagnosis and you're lucky and they cover it, you, they just provide you services. Um, then take advantage of that because that may not be the case with all plans. And although, and I always like to remind everyone, yes, all healthcare professionals, we do have a certain level of education. We have a certain level of training. We are quote unquote experts in our field, but you will always be the expert on your body. And for you to invite someone into your health journey, it's very intimate, it's very sacred, and no one should undermine your experience or your expertise in your body. So the number one thing is people have to listen. If they can't listen to you and hear you, they cannot provide adequate service I don't care what their field is. I don't care if you're the top surgeon of whatever. Like you have to still hear people and respect them and, and recognize that they know what they're saying for their body. And and um, if you start from there, if you feel like that's that is really going to be accomplished, that you've got that vibe from your provider, you're in a pretty good space um, because you can then voice your opinion, voice your concerns and know that you're being heard. And that's essential. That is, that is so key that you mentioned that. And I, I don't think that we oftentimes believe that we are the experts of our body. I want to share a quick, uh, a very quick story. So in 2015, I was training for the New York city marathon and I started getting this pain in my right hip. And so I went to an orthopedist, very horrible experience with this person. They did exactly the opposite of what you mentioned. They didn't listen to me. They came in. It was like a 10 minute visit. They did their like, you know, push your knee up or whatever, whatever it's called. And immediately they were like, you might have a stress fracture on your hip. You're not going to run the marathon. Here's some crutches, go get an MRI. And so I left crying. I was sobbing on the corner of like 56 and six or so. I'm sure people saw me just crying because I was like, I've trained so long and hard for this marathon. I'm not going to be able to run it. The doctor told me, et cetera. I go get an MRI. I don't have anything broken. I just have a a slight injury. And so I go to physical therapy and in physical therapy, I'm doing all the things that I need to do. I'm doing all my exercises. And I still at this point, because the doctor had said, you're not running the marathon. um, I was like, that's it. Like my my goal of the marathon is, is gone, even though I've worked so hard. And it wasn't until I talked to one of my friends and he was like, fuck that. He was like, you know, your body, you know, your body. Do you feel like you can run the marathon? Do you feel like with the amount of physical therapy that you're doing that you can run it? And also remember that if halfway through, you don't feel like you can run it anymore, you just leave. Um, and just hearing someone tell me, you know, your body the best, there's no doctor, no matter their expertise that can tell you if your body is at the rate where you can, you know, do X or Y or not. Um, just hearing that was very empowering for me. And I, I ran the marathon and I finished it and I was fine. I didn't have any injuries after anything, but even just hearing that was super important because I was ready to not run that marathon because the doctor who had the quote unquote authority told me you're not running this marathon anymore. Um, so those words are just so important and they may sound very small, but when you actually go through that experience where you are stuck between what you feel and what someone else is telling you who has the authority, just hearing, you know, your body the best 
is so important. I love that story. And I know when you finished, you were like crying. Like, <laughs> I can't believe I did it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and to be honest, that whole idea of like the authority over my body, we have to work on that because nobody has authority over your body. You have authority over your body. So a good healthcare provider will provide you options and, you know, education, and, and you will make your own decision. And that is autonomy of the patient. And the patient has a right to refuse all service and treatments. Like, so really, and truly, if you don't think of people as authoritative figures over your body, you will, you will know that you have a right to speak up because you have patient rights and your rights oversee, supersede anything else. Um, and I think that in our communities, that's one of the biggest thing I try to, to kind of implement and reinforce because we, we lost that probably through colonization mm -hmm. um, and loss of our autonomy as a people. But, you know, we really lost that, that understanding that like as a human being, I have rights and you can't just tell me to do whatever, like explain it to me. Tell me what my other options are. Tell me the risks and tell me the benefits. And, um, and it's only after we have the full information that and we feel secure in our decision that we will be able to take that space and claim that, you know? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Love it. Um, so, so, so last, last piece of, 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 of like conversation that we want to touch upon is New Year's coming up. People are going to develop their resolutions. Um, what are some ways that we can develop the awareness and the skills around food balance in order to, um, try to avoid the diet trends or the detox teas or all, all the stuff that tends to just like gets really strong messaging around um, as we approach January 1st. Oh, I have some tips for you. <laughs> okay, so being that we are in the age of technology, one of my first, first, very first tips is unfollow harmful accounts that are promoting these things. Um, we are consuming messages in our everyday life nonstop, whether it's from Google, like spying on us or, yeah. <laughs> or you know, yeah. advertisements. Shout out to Google if they want to sponsor. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, but you know, we're, we're bombarded with messages of, of people showing their body that this is the ideal, uh, that this, this tea or this shake or whatever, unfollow them, unfollow, block, get rid of it. Um, try to follow accounts that really embrace culture, embrace food. Um, you can follow recipe accounts that are looking inclusive of all different types of foods. Um, I tend to follow um, chefs from different backgrounds, different cultures. I love it. I love seeing what type of foods they make, even if, even if I know I'm not going to be like I, I'm really like I love quick and easy recipes 30 minutes or less because I am a New York City person and I got I got lots to do so you know follow accounts that that you you feel really resonate with what you want your health journey to look like um, being very conscious to, to to not follow those who go against that because um, it could be triggering and if we've had trauma with food you will you can be triggered by those yeah. things the second thing is listen to your body always if you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. 
Um, if you need movement, do the movement that you need, that you enjoy. Um, if that means more sex with your partner safely, right? <laughs> Have more sex, you know? If it means dancing in your house more, um, dance more in your house. If you like yoga, do yoga. If you don't like yoga, don't do yoga. Like do whatever you like that is true to your movement that you enjoy um, and really honor that. The other thing is, remember what I said about the healthiest meal pattern includes more, more fruits and vegetables of a wide variety. If you focus on trying to include movement in your everyday life and just trying to make sure you're having more fruits and vegetables at every meal um, and finding creative and tasteful ways to do that, tasty ways to do that, then you may not even notice how far you're getting in your health journey anyway, but it's significant, it's slow, it's stable, and it's sustainable. Um, so I would say focus on just getting more fruits and vegetables, try to follow positive accounts that don't reinforce um, harmful diet trends, and move, <laughs> and move. You know, we have an endocannabinoid system in our body that helps us release all these feel-good hormones when we move and endorphins are released. And the more you move, the more you're going to want to take care of your body to keep moving. And anyone who's exercised in any capacity, you notice a difference when you stop. And so if you do both things yeah. in, a, in a balanced way, you, you will stay on track. And you won't need to spend money on all these supplements that are not regulated or pay for all these shakes that are probably all fillers. Um, you know, you don't need that. You, you really just need to be true to yourself and, and where you are in the process. Damn, we just got to end there because that's, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I love that because they're all, for some people, it may not be easy, but for me, those are like easy tips for me to like incorporate now. Like, I don't have to spend money on any of that. I can do that in small increments, right? You said move. Like, I could go for a 15-minute walk and, and move. Um, so I love that. I, I yeah. love that you said that. And I think it 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 is inclusive in the sense that it, it it's not like you need to buy this amount of fresh fruits and vegetables every week. It's also just like if what you can if what is within your means is that you're going and you're buying some frozen spinach, some frozen broccoli, uh, and you're including that in your meal, then then that's that's great. Like so long as it's enjoyable for you and and you enjoy the taste of it, then that's great. There isn't necessarily a, a prescribed like it has to be fresh, it has to be organic, it has to be this, it has to be that. It's just movement, a wide variety of fruits and vegetables, um, and and also taking care of your of your mental health in a way of just not following those accounts that are selling you things that aren't aligned with you or that are making you feel like you need to be skinnier or taller or whatever it may be. Yes. I, yeah, that's really what it is. Like, you know, it's wellness is not just your body's capacity. It's, it's, it's everything. It's your mind, it's your spiritual needs. It's your mental capacities for understanding and coping with things that may be stressful. It is also your food. It is also your body, but it's not, it's, it's everything. So if you're going to focus on your wellness in the coming year, um, focus on trying to, to meet your needs for all of those things, you know, um, for some people it's, it's like knowledge. It's getting financial wellness knowledge. Like, Hey, my, for me to be good, I need to get out of debt. So let me, you know, yeah. so you gotta really, it's a lot of digging into yourself. What do I need in this new year? And if it's a physical trait, 
then you need to do some um, soul searching to see where that's coming from and what is it that you really want to accomplish through that physical trait. Um, Because really the evidence all shows that it's really lifestyle habits that are sustainable if you stick to it, not a, a number on a scale. That, that's going to fluctuate whether you like it or not. So, so remembering what lifestyle habits can I put into place now that will sustain my well-being um, is going to get you further along than aiming for a number on a scale which you may never achieve. So Yeah, yeah. And we've all gone through a pandemic this year and will in the next year. So just have some compassion for yourself. And even if, you know, you are looking at the scale and it is, higher than where you were earlier this year, higher than where you want it to be. Just remember that you're going through a pandemic and your body is going through that with you. So it's important to have some compassion. Yeah. And also like shout out to you for making it by the end of this year. You know, like it's like the fact that we're here is already something to celebrate. Be compassionate that your your same body that you're a little bit upset for gaining some weight, your body sustained you through a pandemic. So let's reframe that. You know, let's reframe that. So I love that. Miriam, thank you so much for joining us. This was very informative and super helpful. Um, I mentioned that we were going to tag your IG, but if you are, if you're interested as you're listening right now, um, Dualicious Nutrition, D-O-U-L-I-C-I-O-U-S-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. Dualicious Nutrition is where you can find, um, Miriam, and I really enjoy your content. I think it's um, super helpful. I love when you put some of the recipe stuff like that uh, refreshing water uh, that you put with like your your herbs from your garden. Like I loved it. Um, So there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of really amazing content. So please follow um, Miriam. I know you also have a website, dualiciousnutrition.com as well. We'll include all of that. So in... um, on the IG post. So you can all visit our Instagram. If you want to just go in and visit Miriam's Instagram or check out the website. Um, But thank you so much. This was really helpful, very informative. I learned some things that I'm going to take away from this. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah, totally. So I really, really appreciate it. And thank you. I I always appreciate sharing space. Um, And I I feel like I'm really, really appreciative of you sharing space and for the invitation and also for like the universe to align this conversation because I haven't spoken to you in so long. (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, it's been intentional and I recognize that and I appreciate that. So thank you so much. And I wish you both well and to stay safe and to enjoy the year and all the blessings that will come to you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.